there's something going on other than the food itself that you need to focus on. Like learning how to cope with your emotions rather than with food. It's a big one. Stress, emotions. You know, people have like a lot of deep rooted issues involving like maybe past trauma, childhood stuff um, that you really need to tackle. But saying you're like physically or like addicted to sugar and you can't stop eating this and da da, that's also a choice. I can relate to how they feel. They may feel like it's, it's something that's uncontrollable. Um, so I'm not doubting anyone's, you know, feelings towards sugar. It's just not something that you could be actually addicted to. So we maybe just change how you word it. Hey there, welcome to Tater Talks, two bitches talk fitness. I'm Brooke. And hello, I'm Iris. On this show, we challenge the common understanding of what it means and what it takes to be fit and healthy. We explore all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and mental health without the fluff and BS. So grab a coffee, get ready to laugh, cry, even learn a thing or two. Let's get into it. Hey, you guys. Hello. How are you? Looking good, feeling better. Nice. Wonderful. How about you, Brooke? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Just did some client updates and whatnot, and I am ready to rock and roll. Got to see the lovely Beth Barocco this morning for our morning meeting. It was <laughs> lovely. <laughs> I'm glad we hashed that new questionnaire out. That makes me feel better. That's done. I didn't know it was so uh, repetitive on the uh, the old PT distinction, but... Eh, you know, it's technology. Yeah, times. <laughs> for those who don't know you, which I find that hard to believe. But Beth is a friend of ours, Brooke's boss. I met Beth a couple years ago, actually, on Instagram. I did not know she was in the IC at the time when I found her on Instagram. She was just kind of in the circles of Jordan and Susan and Kim and all them. And then I actually hired her to take me through my first build because I'd never done it before. And it was awesome. And uh, kind of became friends after that. And my first build client. I told you, I was like, you know what? This is my I rem- first. I remember that oh. now. So, yeah. Yeah. And it was great. And yeah. I think Aww. we both learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love that. Yeah. Brooke, TLDR, how did you and Beth meet? I think we originally met in the inner circle. And then we also just became good friends through the mentorship. Yeah. The Jordan and Mike. I almost said Jordan and Mike Syatt. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Vicante. Jordan Syatt and Mike Vicante's online fitness business mentorship. So Beth and I, we kind of would collaborate, talk. She was on my podcast a few times or just once. It feels like a few times, but just one, maybe because I see you every week. Uh, right. <laughs> um, yeah. And then we became friends, got to meet in person at the IC retreat. And uh, now I am one of Beth's coaches on her team BFF. Uh, yeah, super, super exciting. I have a yeah. lot of ICers in the uh, on the team, which is all cool. of them except one, right? Um, uh, Christy is not in the IC, yeah, and Justin's not. Uh, yeah, cool. So now, Beth, all right, who are you? Oh, who am I? What the hell are you doing here? Uh, yeah. Who you is? Who am I? I I'm, tr- I'm still <laughs> trying to figure that out, <laughs> aren't we all though? Um, okay, so I just turned 50. I quit drinking alcohol. I always start there because that's when all of this started. So I quit drinking alcohol seven years ago. I was a raging drunk. Um, I really was. In fact, like a few years before I quit drinking, I knew I needed to quit drinking. But it's one of those things that's like, 
you know, there's so much stigma around it. I, I didn't want to believe that I had a problem. Like, there's no way I can quit on my own. Um, who wants to walk into an AA meeting and be, and like, just say, you know, I'm an alcoholic. There is no way I was going to do that ever. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what I kept telling myself. No way I am going to, that is not me, <laughs> but <laughs> it was. So, you know, I ended up going into an AA meeting because I could not quit on my own. And I'm, I knew that if I did not do something, I was going to die or someone else would, because I drove drunk with probably a bottle of wine in me. It must be either a bottle or over with my son and my stepdaughter in the car. Um, and it drove quite a ways, like 30 minutes away from my house, made it home. It was my anniversary, August 17th. And I don't remember much. I know I puked and my husband was like, what are you doing? Like, what the fuck? And I, at that moment, I was like, okay, I need to do something. It took me a couple days to not be hungover anymore. So August 21st, I walked in that AA meeting and then I went every single day for a year through going to AA. I met a girl. Her name was Allison and she was doing boot camp type stuff outside at like 530 in the morning. So I met her at 530 in the morning and then she got me into running. So we started running. I started doing 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons. I mean, it's not all at, the, at once, but that's kind of like the route that I took. Um, so I go would meet her. We would run, do whatever. And then I would go to my AA meeting um, at seven and uh, she ended up getting a job somewhere else. So we couldn't meet anymore. And I'm like, what am I going to fucking do? Like, she was like my go-to, you know, but a gym opened up across the street from the AA meeting. Like everything was in like a block or two away from my house. So I went to that gym and I actually uh, went and met with Hunter, who is now like business partners with me. And um, I started taking classes there at 6 a.m. So I'm like, okay, I could take the class there at 6, get out at 6.45 and go right back to my AA meeting. So that worked out. My son was just about to start preschool at the time. So um, that I had to be home by like 8 because my hus husband owns a business. Then he was looking for a front desk person. And I was like, ooh, that's perfect. Johnny's going to be going to school. I can you know, start doing this part-time work. I was a stay-at-home mom for five years. So I started working behind the front desk and Hunter about a month or two after was like, you know, I feel like you'd be a really good coach. Do you want to start to intern? And I was like, yeah, that'd be really fucking cool. So I started interning and joined the IC at the same time. When I quit drinking and started running, I didn't really concentrate on nutrition. I was like the exerciser, like wondering why nothing was happening. I, I mean, I'm running all the time. I'm taking classes, being the same weight for a whole entire year, but not really my body composition wasn't really changing. So I decided to, instead of get, getting my personal training cert, I got my nutrition cert first. So I did the nutrition cert and then went through my own um, like weight loss journey at the same time. So I, between learning from Jordan, interning and taking my cert, I was like, okay, it comes down to being in a calorie deficit and I'm just eating way too fucking much mm -hmm. healthy food, right? It was the weighing and measuring the food that Jordan had us do that I, I never did before. And I'm like, wow, this is a fucking light bulb moment. And then I started losing weight. I still have my old notebooks from that because I write down. Oh, nice. There was no apps at the time. I mean, I don't remember. It was 2018. So I was writing down my weight. Like I have <laughs> like, like pages of my weight, like lost this. And, you know, now I track it in the happy scale. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where it all started. And then I got my personal trainer cert. I got my certified functional strength coach cert. Um, I went through a lot of bullying at the gym with these two girls that worked there. Um, they did not want me to coach. Imagine if you're, you're interning, you don't really know what to do. You're fucking new. You know, you're supposed to, you're interning for a reason. So people can help you. They did nothing but like 
come to my classes, um, tell me to turn the music up, tell me that I um, did not uh, say how to do the exercise correctly, like right in front of the class. Jeez. Yeah. Like to the point where mm-hmm. I would almost break down at the end of end of the class. Like they would have meetings with Hunter about me. Like we don't think that she's going to work out completely try to get me out. And at one point I remember I was sitting at the front desk and I was just bawling to Hunter. I was like, I don't know if I could do this anymore. Like I, he's like, no, you really, you really should. I'm like, they need, this is, this can't like, this is fucked up. They're bullying me. Um, And so at that point, something happened where, you know, he did end up letting go one of the girls. Um, and then shortly after the other one was uh, let go as well. I was going to say knowing Hunter, they probably didn't stick around very long. Yeah. And it was the beginning of like, he just like owned the gym. He was just starting to become a boss himself. So he grew a lot through this experience. He's like, that never should have lasted that long, but I just kept going. And actually, actually they're the ones that fueled me. I was like, fuck you bitches. I'm going to show you. Right. And little, here I am. Right. One of them actually (laughs) came back um, and DM'd me on Instagram was like, do you, do you think you can, you know, coach me? And I was like, um, no, I'm really busy right now. Sorry. Jeez. Yeah. There's no fucking way. Are you kidding me? What did she expect? me? Like, (laughs) you know, here, like what's wrong? Like women should be supporting women. And these women did nothing but like tear me down. It's crazy. I think they saw the potential in you and looked at it as a threat. Maybe. That's sad. It's sad. It is sad. It is sad. So that's my beginnings. And now you're a fucking badass coach with a whole team and a whole giant Facebook group. Yeah. It's been very cool to see. Thanks, Iris. It's been really cool to watch, like from the beginning till now, like when we first did that TikTok challenge in August of like what, 2021? Or 2020, yeah. 2020 is one of my first viral video. At, at first, when the TikTok challenge on that Jordan and Mike gave us, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I watched a lot of Gary Vee because I started getting imposter syndrome. You know, you get you start looking at other people, comparing yourself. I'm like, I'm not as good as these people. They know more than me. And it would really paralyze me into making videos. But I just kept going. And I, I remember watching this uh, Gary Vee um, YouTube video. He was like, if you ever have like struggling with what to say, just start press press record and just go like, just say whatever you want. Just be yourself. And that was one thing I was struggling with was like, I was kind of like filtering myself and then I just let it all out. And I was like, here are the stupidest fucking things that you shouldn't be doing in order to lose fat. And, and then I just was like the F bombs and everything that video went viral. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> it just felt good to be myself. Yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, that's what Gary Vee always talks about. Like, don't be someone else. But I was always trying to be. And I think that's what people do in social media is they try to be someone that they're not. And when people say I'm real, it's like, well, is everyone else not? You know, I don't know any other way to be in my life besides a real person. Like people filter themselves too much, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I can just attest to this just from being one of your coaches. As soon as I joined your coaching team, it was almost like permission. Like you do, you do, you cuss, you drop the F-bomb, you're real, you're authentic. And I'm like, well, if Beth can do it, I can do it. And I've (laughs) noticed like such a change just in my coaching because of that. Oh, yeah. Like being able to just be like, hey, you know what, if this person needs to hear this, which it's always gentle, it's always tactful. Yeah. But yeah, I can be myself. I can say the F word and not get grounded. Like, (laughs) right, right, right. (laughs) 
No one's going to come to me and be like, you know what, Beth? Your employee, Brooke, was swearing a lot. I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> Who do you think oh. she works for? <laughs> like, hello. Yeah. I think it's important to be yourself. So it gives everyone else permission to be themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I can attest to that. Like I struggled on social media for such a long time of, mm-hmm. okay, what do people want to see? How should I act? So other, so it's receptive and received well by others. And now it's like, I don't give a fuck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the people who matter don't mind. It's so true. It's yeah. true. The people who need to hear it the way that you say it will find you. Exactly. Well, let's talk about alcohol. Because I love how open Beth is about the dangers of it, her experience with it. Um, And none of us drink on this recording. All three of us, we don't drink. So I'm personally coming from the perspective of like, I don't like it enough to deal with how I feel afterwards. That's like my only, I don't struggle with addiction at all. I just, I feel like garbage, so I don't drink. (laughs) But when it comes to talking about it, I have picked up from some people and not in my immediate friend group because they're all great, but some people just automatically assume that I have a, like a addiction to it when I mention like, oh, I don't drink and I don't <laughs> go around telling people I don't drink. But if they ask me if I want something, I'm going to say no. Why do you think people are so weird about it? Why is it so hard for people to accept that somebody doesn't want to drink? Because it makes them think about their drinking. That's that's what I think. I think it it kind of gives them the like, you know, when I was drinking and I someone would be like, I'm not drinking to me, I'd be like, why the fuck don't they drink? It just made me feel bad about myself. I think that's how that's how I would take it. But that's also my my personal issue, knowing that I had a problem. Why is it so hard to ask yourself those questions, like examine like whether or not they have a deeper issue with alcohol? Because there's such a stigma around it. You know, like, oh, admitting that you have a problem. You know, a lot of people are like, no, you don't have a problem because they want you to still, you know, drink with them. And it's such a alcohol, I feel like it's such a, a liar to you. It, like you put all this emotion and investment in this drink that you claim I'm losing my best friend. That's what I would say. Like, mm. like alcohol was like my my fucking right hand man. It got me through everything, you know, funerals, birthdays, anniversaries, everyday life, being a mom. Like alcohol was that thing that I put all my investment in. And imagine like you're have this thing that you use, like people, you know, use food and then just having to give that up. Like, okay, now I actually have to deal with my feelings. No one wants to deal with their feelings. But I was not dealing with my feelings for like 20 years. I was still at the 42 year old Beth was still like living like she was the 18 year old girl that um, father just passed away. So it's like, you know, okay, A, you're you're possibly giving up that thing that's got you through tough times, so to speak, right? And then you're going to have to go through all the other shit and deal with your shit. <laughs> you're actually going to have to feel it. <laughs> right. And that's not fun in the moment either. <laughs> no. Yeah. And I don't think it's easy for people to admit they have a problem. Yeah. You know, that's true. Or if it's becoming a problem, Mm -hmm. like in my circumstance, it was really starting to become a problem where I was noticing there were things that I was just actively not dealing with because I was I didn't feel emotionally ready to deal with them. Mm -hmm. And so I used to get all the time 
when I would tell people, oh, you know, I think I'm going to start drinking. I had one of my former best friends go, why? You're so much more fun. And it was like, wow, okay. So this isn't even about me at that point. It's about what you can get from me. So that's when I really had to reevaluate. I mean, I think my last drink was on March 18th. It was my son's birthday. And I remember I got home and my son was, it was 2020, March 18th, 2020 was my last drink. Cause the next morning I woke up in the bathtub covered in my own vomit and didn't remember the rest of my son's birthday. So mm-hmm. it was one of those where like, oh, this is becoming a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Like one glass of wine at night after work turned into two to three to four to, well, the bottle's glass. Yeah. <laughs> Does that count? So, yeah, I think that, you know, people people often get insecure about their own relationship with alcohol and they turn to it as a way to not deal with the things that they really need to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of it, like, <clears throat> you know, some people maybe have, they do it with like their husbands or they know, like it, you also know if you're admitting to alcohol, it's you're about to change your entire life. Everything's going to fucking change. Your relationships are going to change. You're going to lose friends. Everything is about to be different. So that's also very scary to think about. Mm-hmm. Very true. Honestly, like I started drinking in the mornings and that's when I knew that this was no longer like casual drinking. I started hiding alcohol. Like there's these things that I noticed I started, I started lying about it. That's when, you know, okay, just a party girl is turning into like an actual alcoholic. Now where you are, do you call yourself like a recovering, recovered alcoholic? You know, that's a good question. I don't, I don't really like when I stopped going to AA a got me through like beginning, like uh, quitting drinking. I met a lot of cool people there. But that one thing I noticed about and not to down anyone that goes to AA, trust me, it saved my life. But I feel like it's a really old program, right? Mm-hmm. I felt like when I was going in there after the year, I was hearing the same stories over and over again. No one was really changing their life. No one was doing anything different. And I was like, OK, these people are stagnant. There's something to say about that. I'm like, I want to grow. I don't want to talk about the same fucking story over and over again. We all know that that's how you started. You know, great. Not to down anyone's story or anything, but let's move forward. And that's why I stopped going because I'm like, I want to grow. I don't want to stay here. And that's why, you know, should I still call myself an alcoholic or now am I like recovered? You know, is there a right way to like call yourself? Mm -hmm. I like to say like ex drinker. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll say, like, you know, I used to be an alcoholic. I I just don't know, like, really want to put like a label on it. Mm -hmm. But I I feel like, you know, I just don't I don't drink anymore. You know, I don't want to say like I am this or I am that. Walking to the A room, A room and saying, hey, my name is Beth and I'm an alcoholic started to feel like gross to me. Well, maybe that's your sign then that you don't identify that way. Yeah. I was like, you know, I'm I'm past this. I don't want to keep calling myself this thing. I felt like that was like a negative like thing to say. In my mind, I was like, okay, but I'm moving forward from this. This is like not my life anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, people in AA might say something different about that. They may be like, well, that's your you're heading into a relapse by saying that. You're you're now a dry drunk. Like there's all these like things that they like label. Um, and I didn't like that either. I'm like, just just because I'm saying this does not mean I'm gonna like relapse. I have not drank in seven years. So I'm I'm okay so far. Doing pretty good. <laughs> Doing well. I haven't gone to AA in like probably five and a half, six years. So that served its purpose at the time. 
Yeah. And there's, now there's a lot more going on online. But when I first started, when I quit drinking, it was seven years ago. So there wasn't that many online communities. Now there's more books. There's more everything for people to have more support, I feel like, other than AA. Like yeah. there's a lot of like courses, like how to quit drinking courses. Just, you know, I may have done it different, but. I feel like when you put like a label on it or you you identify with it, it's almost like saying that's who you are. Right. Instead of an issue that you're you've dealt with or are dealing with. And that's that's a reason why I've never personally gone to an AA meeting is because I just didn't feel like I, I just didn't feel like that's how I wanted to identify myself as. You know, like they say, like, don't call yourself a sugar addict. You're just a person that's learning how to eat sugar in moderation. Yeah. We have to change what we like, how we talk to ourselves. Language is powerful. It really is. It really is. I'm going to latch on to what you said, Beth, because as an ex-drinker, somebody who had an addiction to alcohol, what do you think or what comes up for you when people swear up and down they're addicted to sugar? Or they're addicted to food. It kind of makes me angry. Yeah. You can't be addicted to something that you need to survive. A. It's it's not even in the whatever the addiction category. You may feel like you're addicted. That that's real. Like it's a behavioral thing, just like gambling. Like you're behaviorally addicted to gambling. But gambling is an inanimate object, right? Just like a scale. But food you need to survive. You you fucking need it to 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 live. Alcohol, you don't. Alcohol is physically addictive. Like you can't be physically addicted to food. So it's really got to change your behavior around food and your thought process around food. Yes, there's highly palatable foods, et cetera, et cetera. But there's something going on other than the food itself that you need to focus on. Like learning how to cope with your emotions rather than with food. It's a big one. Stress, emotions. You know, people have like a lot of deep rooted issues involving like maybe past trauma, childhood stuff. Um, that you really need to tackle. But saying you're like physically or like addicted to sugar and you can't stop eating this and da da, that's also a choice. I didn't choose to be like physically addicted to alcohol. You can't be physically addicted to sugar. I can relate to how they feel. They may feel like that's it's something that's uncontrollable. Um, so I'm not doubting anyone's, you know, feelings towards sugar. It's just not something that you could be actually addicted to. So we maybe just change how you word it. Mm -hmm. I think the distinction between a physical addiction and a behavioral addiction is big. Mm -hmm. There's also addiction and habits, right? Like if you're cooking and you're just eating the Hershey's Kisses, that's just mindless habit. You just always do it because they're always there. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody's waking up hungover from eating sugar by the spoon out of a bag, you know? Well, that's the thing. Like, who's going into their, like, pantry and going into the the sugar? Like, sugar is more than just sugar. And, and, like, donut has carbs and fats in it. The fats and the sugar in the mix. So are you going to say, like, I'm addicted to a fucking donut? No, you just, they say sugar, but let's be just, be, like, realistic here. You can't stop eating a certain food because, A, maybe you have a horrible relationship with that, with food. That could be it, too. And you just need to get some help in that area. I also think people that really struggle with this quote unquote addiction, they're not eating a really balanced diet either. Mm -hmm. They're usually not getting enough protein. 
They're usually not getting enough like complex carbs or fruits or vegetables or fiber. They're you it's usually a combination between behavior and nutrition. Like yeah. nutritional deficiencies can cause cravings. So that's something that I think a lot of people overlook as well. Yeah. And I think the behavioral cycle of like reining it in way too hard and putting all the stuff off limits and then you can't take it anymore. And then you go insane yeah. on a box of donuts because you can't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. People throw around sugar addiction too, too much. You know, they just say it to say it like, oh, I'm addicted to sugar. It, it's that's not something to really fucking joke about. You, there's no joke about addiction. Like you just like to eat a lot of donuts. Who doesn't yeah. though, honestly? No, I mean, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a tough subject. People get really, really fucking heated when you're like, there's no such thing as sugar addiction. They get really invested and emotional about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not that you're trying to invalidate anybody. It's right. just addiction is a serious thing. It is. Not to say that what someone isn't going through isn't serious, but I also think it's invalidating to the people that are really struggling with things like drug addiction, things like alcoholism too. So I think, you know, again, language is powerful and making sure that you're speaking about your struggles in a factual manner versus purely emotional where you can very easily dramatize it. Not saying that people are necessarily being dramatic, but sometimes sometimes people inherently exaggerate the truth to express their emotion. Totally agree. The, the words we use in everything matter. And I think people, I mean, just people throw around these words like, oh, I'm being so good or, oh, I'm being so bad or like that kind of thing. Just without thinking, but I think we pick up on it more than we want to admit, you know, um, like, like being triggered by things like, yeah, of course, some things are just extremely triggering because of something you've been through in your life. But like, well, hey, let's do it. Trigger foods. Let's talk about trigger foods for a second. I get that question every once in a while. And like now at this point in my life, I don't have trigger foods because I have a freaking great relationship with food. And I don't view things as good and bad or like clean foods and dirty foods and like cheat days and all that nonsense. And Beth, your candy challenge that you do every October, like that was very eye-opening to me a couple years ago because just a little piece of candy with lunch and dinner every day for a month. By the end of the month, I was like, you know, it's candy's good. I can take it or leave it. It's not a trigger anymore because of the immersion therapy of just allowing it in my life. Yeah. And when you're healing your relationship with food and you're starting to allow these foods, you are going to overeat them. That's kind of a normal process that happens with healing your relationship with food. You're not going to suddenly be like, yeah, it's okay. Um, no, you're going to overeat these things because you've been restricting them for so long. But then you're, it's going to come to a point where you're like, you know what? I know I can have a donut any day. Like it, you, you just suddenly just, it doesn't seem so powerful. Um, you now can have the ice cream in your freezer without finishing it. It's really people restrict, restrict, and then they binge, binge, binge. So allowing yourself something every single day, you're going to get to the point where it's not going to have so much power over you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes you might overdo it a little bit. And that's mm -hmm. fine. You just carry on. You just yeah. don't overthink it. Don't overcompensate for it. You just look around you at what happened, you know, were you super emotional? Were you like trying to ignore something that needed attention? So you turn to food instead. Don't just like ignore everything that happened necessarily, but don't overcompensate for it. Just carry on. 
Well, and I think Iris makes a very good point. And with that, when you restrict and you restrict and you restrict, you think about that thing more. It's like telling somebody not to think of a pink elephant. If you tell them not to think of a pink elephant, the first thing they're going to think about is a pink elephant. And so I really like to discuss with people, like, what is the difference between restrict and restraint, right? Like there's a difference between restricting your food and cognitive restraint, knowing that that food is available, but making a more informed nutrition decision because you have goals that you're trying to achieve or, you know, whether it be health, whether it be fat loss, whether it be muscle building, you know, whatever your goal may be there, there's a huge difference. And I think that's what everybody strives for is this balanced lifestyle where they can have anything, everything in moderation, but they don't truly know what moderation is. What are your thoughts on that, Beth? Well, you can have anything you want, just not as much as you want, right? I love that. Just not all of it all the time. (laughs) And I think a lot of people aren't in tune with their hunger and fullness cues. Um, Because now I know when I'm starting to get full. And if I don't like feeling past the point of that anymore. I remember before I would just, you know, eat till I was stuffed, right? And have that feeling all the time. But now that I have a healthy relationship with food and I include all foods and I kind of stop eating before I become full, I know that feeling or, you know, where I'm about to be too full and I fucking hate it. Like, I'm like, I feel like I, I just purposely did something that my body is like now very uncomfortable. Um, So I think a lot of people don't know when they're, you know, they don't know anything about their hunger cues. They don't know, they don't know that it's okay to be hungry or that you're not supposed to eat until you're absolutely so stuffed that you're going to puke or pass out. Um, So really getting in touch with all that at the same time. How would you suggest somebody going about learning what it, you know, their hunger cues and fullness cues are? Um, I think having regular meal times is key. A lot of people don't, they eat sporadically throughout the day. They don't have specific times they eat when you actually have a certain time of the day where you eat breakfast, certain time of the day you eat lunch, um, snack, dinner, you start to get those hunger cues around the same time every single day. So you start to build that. And I think that's the number one thing you should start to do is most people really should eat breakfast. Some people can't or don't because it's just, you know, their way of life. That's fine. But if you are struggling with your relationship with food and you're struggling because you overeat at night and things like that, I think, and you don't know anything about hunger cues and fullness cues, it's important to have regular meals throughout the day, same time every day. Yeah. I also think it's important just kind of piggybacking off what Beth had said from just like a developing that hunger and fullness cue is eating without distractions. Yes. Eating without distractions. If you're a person where, you know, you work through your lunch break and you have a desk job and you're sitting there and you're eating as you're on your computer, or if you're eating in front of the TV or eating directly out of a package instead of, you know, taking whatever serving size out of the package and putting it in a bowl, you know, on top of having regular meal times, making sure that you're eating in an environment that is ready for you to eat without distractions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Everything should be seated and on a plate and undistracted for sure. Mm-hmm. And like putting your fork down, not like some people just eat so fast. They're not even tasting their food. They probably don't even know if they like it. They're just, you know, and then they go for seconds before they even gave their body a second to like actually realize it's actually not hungry anymore. So we're eating slowly undistracted, seated, super important. Mm -hmm. Does alcohol mess with that? We're all smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all all inhibitions. 
man, I, after I would have a full meal, like at dinner. And then a few hours later, I would eat all the leftovers because I drank like two bottles of wine. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, a, like you're trying not to be drunk anymore. So you're just going to eat more, you know, you're just not really thinking you're just going to go for the higher, um, highly palatable foods too. I don't think I ever chose to eat a salad when I was drunk. No. Like (laughs) who does that? I was not on that list of people who do that. And I look at things like when we're in terms of lifestyle change and whatnot, how many times do people, you know, at the end of the work week, go out to happy hour? You're not ordering, you know, you're not ordering an entree salad while you're at happy hour. You're eating some loaded chili cheese fries. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not making, you know, more nutritious decisions for the most part. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I was like, I mean, I was making pizzas at like midnight. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totino's pizza rolls. That was my jam. <laughs> like back then, back in the day. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I had one of those. Mine was probably when I was drunk because it was not <laughs> when I was sober, <laughs> which will be three years in March. <laughs> yeah. Congrats. I technically have been dry since October of the year before last, whatever year that is. And I actually remember <laughs> I very, very rarely drank a lot because I don't like the feeling of being buzzed and I don't like feeling not in control of myself. But I remember actually the last night that I drank, I did overdo it a little bit and I felt like absolute garbage. And you know why I overdid it was because our best friend was in town and we were talking about some really hard stuff. <laughs> And I didn't want to think about it. And so, yeah, to your point earlier, I was trying to avoid my feelings. Who knew? (laughs) Didn't turn out well. And then the next day I was like, you know what? All the pieces clicked. And that was like the first time in a very long time that I actually got to being buzzed. Mm -hmm. But I was like, you know, every time I drink, like even just like a half a glass of wine, I feel like absolute trash. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm just not going to do that anymore. Yeah. I don't miss those, that feeling. I, I think about mm-hmm. it now. I'm like, oh, I can't neither. imagine. Like, being hungover was so, the anxiety was horrible. Um, see, the thing is, most people have mental health issues. They shouldn't be fucking drinking. Like, if you have anxiety, depression, why are you fucking drinking? I, I know a lot of people drink because they have anxiety. It makes it fucking worse. Mm-hmm. I, I, was, I was that person. I would drink because I was anxious, but then I would be more anxious. And I'm like, I need to drink so I can get less anxious, but then I'd be anxious again. Not good. Vicious cycle. I've heard you say it's like throwing gasoline on your anxiety. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people understand that because they they do it to numb, but then the aftermath is just worse. Right. And then you're like, okay, I, I have to drink again so I can get rid of this feeling. It's just, it's a consistent cycle. Yeah. And while we're on that topic, I actually think it's a good segue to... <laughs> mommy wine culture Um, oh my gosh i'm not even a mom and that drives me insane i hate it you know i've been seeing like t-shirts like i see people that like share memes and have t-shirts and about something like counting down the minutes till kids are in bed and i can have wine like i just it's something that i didn't really notice until after I stopped drinking, how prevalent that is in our society. And the drinking at two-year-old birthday parties. I never got that. 
Like, why are you fucking drinking at your child's birthday party? Like all the parents are hammered. You have five to seven, eight year olds. And who's in control here? And what happens if there's an emergency? Yeah. And there's a pool and you have to drive home. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is fucking weird. Like, there's like, you know, uh, the kids little um, cooler and then they have the adult cooler. It, it it baffles me. Yeah. It really, it, it baffles me too, because that was something that I really, that really stood out, mainly because I had a young child mm-hmm. when I decided to stop drinking was how often like people would get together and just get drunk around their kids. That really opened my eyes. Yeah. I'm a way better parent now that I'm sober. I was horrible. I was so just edgy when I was a drinking mom. Yeah. And it just goes to show that that's exactly how a lot of moms deal with their emotions is by having wine at the end of the night or, you know, drinking during a kid's birthday party. It just is really, I mean, it's really sad that that's kind of how society has become. Yeah. I think, you know, moms don't get enough support too. There's that. I think the pressure of being the perfect mom or the pressure that we put on ourselves a lot of times a mom thinks that they can do everything. And I know I, I didn't ask for help when I should have, I, mm-hmm. I, I understand, but also it's like the drinking is not making it any better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I totally agree. I don't think that there are enough moms that feel supported. Mm-hmm. And so they feel like alcohol almost takes away that burden a little bit because yeah. they don't give as much of a shit <laughs> if the house <laughs> is clean or dirty, you know? So I think that that's, that was important to bring up just from the standpoint that there's so much that can make the decision to stop drinking even more challenging. Yeah. Yeah. How would you suggest what's the first step if somebody's like, I don't, I don't know if I drink too much. Mm-hmm. Like I legitimately don't know. What would you suggest? I like the challenges like 30 day challenge, even a two week start at a two week challenge and just give yourself that. Okay. I'm not going to drink for 30 days and see how you feel kind of, you know, go that route. If 30 days seems like overwhelming, try for two weeks. And just clear your fucking head because mm-hmm. alcohol will cloud that shit. <laughs> um, there's also a really good book called This Naked Mind, where actually, if you're questioning a relationship with alcohol, is actually a really good book to get. I'd suggest it by Annie Grace. Mm-hmm. And then start start following some sober people and just, you know, kind of di- like dive yourself into that social media. But th- I bet just by quitting for two weeks, two to th- 30 days, you're going to find out a lot about yourself. If that's something that you can do. And if that's something that you can't do, you may need more like professional help. I also would like to add, like evaluate your relationships. Are there certain people that you feel like you have to drink to be around? Because that can be really challenging. Or does your, does your environment support your goal? Mm -hmm. So do you think that alcohol can have a place in like a healthy, balanced lifestyle? I mean, sure. But what is what moderation is to someone and moderation looks different for everyone. Like what is what is now what do we think a healthy amount of alcohol really is? According to studies, it's a actual poison, right? It's a carcinogen. So as soon as your body ingests alcohol, it's going to focus on getting rid of it. What what else can you put in your body that does that right? Bleach, (laughs) you know, things that are actually poison. um, But we're putting a legalized poison crazy, right? Into Mm -hmm. our bodies. So 
I, that's a hard question because I would say maybe a year ago, I would have said, you know, a couple drinks a week, but now I'm like, I think a healthy amount is not having any. That's where my mind goes now, just because of all the things I've been reading about it and um, following like cancer dietitians saying, you know, alcohol really is causes cancer. And that's one of the things that she does not say to get rid of any food, but alcohol is like at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. I take that back and uh, deli meat. So deli meat is also a carcinogen. Crazy, right? Darn. Which I fucking love deli meat. <laughs> Think about like what alcohol actually does to your body. Just knowing that it's a poison and what it does to you, you know, like food's not going to do that. Like it's not the Pop-Tart dies. It's it's not the fucking aspartame. Mm-hmm. And as for like craving and things like that, like you get to a certain point where you just, you don't want it. But I think that comes with, you know, there's a lot of self-work you have to do also with, because alcohol is an addiction. Um, it, it more of like a brain addiction than anything. The th- they call it, what do they call it, Brooke? Like stinking, stinking, thinking. Stinking, thinking. <laughs> thinking. Yeah. Um, it yep. really is. It is. It absolutely is. And I mean, just from like a coaching perspective, what I realize is like, a lot of people even say like one drink, I don't like, what, what am I going to get out of one drink? And it's like, exactly. What are you going to get out of one drink? And it actually changes your brain chemistry. So there's that too. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why the legal age limit right now is 21 years old because Mm -hmm. it will affect a developing brain. I mean, there are syndromes, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome. There's a reason why pregnant women shouldn't be drinking. I mean, that's it, it. There's warning labels. You know, if there's a warning label on something, well, I'm going to think twice. Mm-hmm. And always thinking about, okay, how, instead of thinking about how you want to feel in the moment, what about how you're going to feel tomorrow? If you actually mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. decide to drink, do you want to feel like, like look in the, in the future, like, how do you want to feel tomorrow after you have this rather than right now? It's like an immediate, you know, satisfaction. Is it worth it? That's kind of mm-hmm. what I did. Is it worth it? Not really. You just have to take it like one day at a time, really. I always, you know, I still tell myself this. I can always drink tomorrow. You can always drink tomorrow. And just keep telling yourself, I can always drink tomorrow. Just like with food, I can always have, you know, it's not as obviously, you know, black or white with food, but you can always have another donut tomorrow and you can. Yeah. And I think if you're truly struggling with, you know, the emotional aspect of it, you know, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to handle those emotions. I mean, I'm a huge proponent and go, Find some help. Mm-hmm. Find yeah. some help. Whether it is an AA meeting or whether it's, you know, finding a good therapist, like finding somebody that can help you unpack the shit that you're trying to cover up. It's like trying to cover a, a mound of toys in your living room with an area rug. Like right. it's not <laughs> gonna work out very well. You're still you're gonna see the mound. You're just not gonna see the toys underneath. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I'm seven years in, so a lot of the stuff that I I forget like how I, what actually got me through the first year. It was like physical activity is very important. Anyone that's trying to quit alcohol, please like get outside and walk, find like anything, get some exercise because you're going to create those feel good hormones um, that dopamine that you're looking for, you know? And if you're working out more and you're, people are going to crave sugar too, when they're, uh, they quit alcohol, that is normal. Alcohol is sugar. But so I think what helped me, I didn't dive into the sugar. It helped me like was physical activity. I did not go into the sugar because I was very physically active. Mm-hmm. I would, I would have to agree getting out, going on a walk or, mm-hmm. you know, finding a type of fitness that you enjoy. It, yeah. It's also a huge stress reliever. Yeah. You know, huge stress reliever. Cause that's some of it is a lot of people, what I found 
and myself included, a lot of people drink and would drink because of stress, because of additional stress. They don't know, like they, a lot of people lack stress management techniques and walking, you know, you get, you get a two in one, you can relieve some stress and you're, you know, you're impacting your heart health. So in a good way. So you know, there are options. When I was drinking, I was not doing a lot of exercise. You feel it's not fun to exercise when you have a hangover. Like, let's be real here. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot to this. And I think, I mean, like we've said, it's hard to talk about because it brings up a lot of shit for a lot of people. It's a touchy subject for a lot of people. It is because, you know, some people have grown up with that in their environment. I can't tell you how many people who have had an, a problem with alcohol, had parents that had a problem with alcohol mm-hmm. or other family members. I mean, I think that it really has become so normalized in our culture that, you know, you say that you give up alcohol and it's kind of like you're a weirdo for doing so. Like, it's, I think more people are prone than others. Oh, absolutely. I think it's, you know, there is some genetics involved. I didn't know until I quit that my grandfather was an alcoholic. No idea. Same. It's like, okay, that makes sense. My husband is also an addict. He's a recovering heroin addict um, now. I think he hasn't done heroin in like 13 or 14 years. But um, congrats to him. Right? I could see my son having that same addiction tendencies, which I keep an eye out, you know, with whether it's with games. He will fixate on things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like hyper fixations. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important to be aware of that. You know, if you're an individual who you feel may be struggling with alcohol, it's important to ask questions, Mm -hmm. you know, ask questions about your family history, ask questions about, I mean, I remember when I quit drinking, I literally asked myself, can I give up alcohol for the rest of my life? And the fact that I said, I don't know, scared the shit out of me. Right. Like I was like, oh, the fact that I don't, that this is something I don't think I can live without, like that's a problem and I should probably live without it. (laughs) Yeah. You can't be afraid to ask yourself those questions. Yeah. Yeah. And they're hard questions. They're hard questions to ask. And sometimes you might have a hard answer that you're going to have to give yourself. But if you're honest and open with yourself, you're only doing yourself, you know, the best service possible by doing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brutal honesty. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Talked about that before on this show. (laughs) Facts. Well, thanks so much for hanging out with us for a little bit, Beth. It's nice to talk to you, not over Instagram. (laughs) I know, right? Uh, It's great to see your lovely face again. Yes. Tell the good listeners where they can find you. Let's see. You can find me on Instagram at Beth Rocco Fitness, Beth Rocco Fitness on TikTok, basically Beth Rocco Fitness anywhere. I have a podcast too called Cut the Crap with Beth and Matt. Yes. Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you can listen to a podcast. And if you're interested in coaching, um, BethBroccoFitness.com. We have Brooke here is a coach on the team. It's the best team Uh ever. (laughs) Very cool. They definitely do have some badasses in that group. So I'm pretty damn lucky, I have to say. You really are. (laughs) I envisioned it and it's coming to fruition, which is pretty cool. You deserve it. All about the power of, I think me and Brooke have talked about this before. Envisioning what you want and like, kind of like. Yes, we have. Yeah. Yeah. The vision board and just Mm -hmm. really, you know, making your dreams a reality and what that takes. Absolutely. I've never actually done a physical vision board. 
Oh, it's fun. I have dreams, but I've never actually like written it or done that. It's Maybe cool. I should. Like I, I would take um like magazine and I, you know, make a little poster board and I did it a couple of times. I didn't do it this year or last year though, but everything that I put on there, like came to, came true. You're inspiring me, Beth. I have an empty wall right next <laughs> to me. Now I have like a, a written sheet next to my bed. Everything like from last year, I have a 2023 one now last year. Most of the things happened, except I didn't start writing a book and I wasn't on the Today Show. So those were the two that didn't happen. That was 2023, that maybe. <laughs> that can roll in this year, oh, you know. It's on this one. I was like, I want a TV um, appearance. Let's go. Let's go. Find a show that they'll let you swear on. <laughs> It'd have to be like some HBO special or something. I was going to say Netflix <laughs> original. Um, it would not be the Good Morning America. <laughs> you never know, though. That's true. Gary Vee's been on those. So they have the little sensor thing, right? Beep. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All righty. All right, guys. Thanks so much for coming on, Beth. And we will talk to you soon. Bye, love you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tater Talks, two bitches talk fitness. If you enjoyed the show, let us know by writing a review, subscribing wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find me, Iris, on Instagram at Iris Deadlifts. And you can find me, Brooke, on Instagram at GetYouABrooke. We'll talk to you soon. Nice. Nice. <laughs>